Welcome to another episode of Round 4 Brackets, the show where we have the best in movies and TV face each other bracket style to determine which is the best in their respective categories. This is our part three episode on the best comedies of the new millennium. We already had 32 movies from 2000 to 2005. Now we are bringing you 32 more from 2006 to 2010, starting with 16 films on this episode. Find out which two films have won a place in the finals already on our previous shows. You can find that on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple, and iHeartRadio. I am one of your hosts, Scott Barnes. And as a millennial, I was just finishing up high school and starting college in the years these movies came out. Finally old enough to see R-rated films, staying out late, and getting drunk on Mike's Hard Lemonade. Not a sponsor, by the way. I was the most popular 19-year-old hanging out at high school parties back then. But I'll tell you what the police told me at the time. No matter how mature you think you are in years, it is not an excuse for hanging out with underage minors. Next to me is another host, Mercy Warren. She really bursts onto the scene in the second half of this decade, graduating high school, starting college, and meeting Mrs. Lawson. Really getting close to reaching the point where she joined our little group. But since she didn't meet me until after 2010, I'm ending her intro and moving on to more important ones. <laughs> Next host with us is Mrs. Lawson. Her mantra for that part of the decade in the mid to late 2000s was, yes, we can watch a ton of movies. I feel like this era of comedies are right in her wheelhouse and can't wait to get her insight on them. Finally, our host with the most, runner-up second place finishes, that is, is Mr. Lawson. I have a public service announcement on his behalf. In 2003, Circle K bought Dairy Mart, the exclusive seller of Lawson's chip dip. Since then, it has spread like a virus consuming the Midwest. Unless we stop it soon, mediocre chip dip will continue to climb in sales. Like Mr. Lawson, the Lawson chip, chip dip brand needs to finish behind superior products, and this show will help make it happen. All right, thank you all for being here with us today. Special thanks to our VIP tiebreaker this episode, Praz. 
That's his name, Proz. That's it. Like share. Proz. You can be a VIP also by reaching out. No fees or money needed. Just listen to the show and get a hold of us on Spotify in the comments section. All right. Anybody have any intros? Want to jump in? Let's go. Okay. We got the Mr. Lawson endorsement. I just want to say, I like to party. (laughs) (laughs) I know for a fact you don't like to party, Mr. Lawson. I know for a fact. (laughs) All right. So first up, leading off the show is film number one, The Hangover, going up against film number two in Bruges. So The Hangover came out in 2009, starring Zach Galifianakis, Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, and Ken Jeong. I'll say he's he's in there more than uh, Doug is. So. so fun fact, Mike Tyson revealed that he agreed to be in the film to fund his drug habit and was actually high on cocaine when he filmed his scenes. He said working on the movie helped convince him that it was time to change his lifestyle and get clean. So the Wolfpack goes toe-to-toe with In Bruges, which came out a year earlier in 2008, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Ralph Fiennes, and Clements Posse Posey. So, spoiler alert on this one, and fun fact, the original screenplay contained an additional scene where Ray, played by Colin Farrell, does in fact survive his gun wounds at the end of the movie, and that the boy he accidentally murdered is named Tobias. Mercy Warren, welcome to the show. Hello, glad to be here. You'll notice a trend when I'm talking about these movies. Apparently 2000s, late 2000s was the time when I just didn't like anything. So if you hear me just trashing like random movies, it's nothing against you if it's something you like, but apparently I just don't like anything. I can't wait to hear your trash talk. (laughs) So it won't start with these movies. The Hangover is... It's like a funny classic movie from that time. Everyone used to quote it, saying like the like the wolf pack, and like there was memes of it everywhere. So the hangover is just one that like was it ridiculous? Yes. But I mean it holds up. In Bruges, I personally don't classify it as a comedy. If you're talking about murder and things like that, that generally does not lead for make for a very funny movie. It's like a dark comedy. Yeah, like I mean I guess you can make the argument. But once again, I don't find anything funny, apparently, so. <laughs> Not my cup of tea, as you Not my cup of tea, either. Most of these movies aren't, in all honesty, but that's my take on those. Glad to be on the show. Yeah, and Bruges is just not my cup of tea, as I would say. I, I didn't enjoy it when Mr. Lawson made me watch it, like, years ago, years ago mm-hmm. and feel the same way about it now so (laughs) i'm more of a hangover person i especially back then when it first came out i was a big like bradley Mm -hmm. cooper fan so he's definitely like a hottie in that movie i enjoyed it i thought it was like yeah i always enjoy the hangover i don't know about the sequels i mean the first one's definitely the best Mm -hmm. one yes agreed definitely action-packed and enjoyed it I'll give the budget and box office numbers real quick. So The Hangover only had a budget of $35 million, which I'm impressed how low that is. Mm-hmm. And it had the highest box office on, out of all these 16 movies. It had the highest. Really? Yeah, $470 million at the box office. Wow. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. In Bruges, budget of $15 million. 
and it only made $35 million. So it's not one of the two movies that bombed on this list, but it is pretty close. It didn't make a lot of money, but it's become, I would say, in some realms, I would say, a cool classic. The Hangover, when it came out, I thought it was fantastic. Non-stop laughs. Zach Galifianakis was amazing in it. When they, it was like just enough of Ken Young. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wasn't too much. It wasn't. It wasn't overdone. In the second and the third Hangover, they did too much with him. It, it didn't land as well. But the first movie was just a perfect amount of him. Just the mix of like the craziness of Vegas and the kind of the buddy comedy movie, I thought really played well. If they hadn't done the second and third one, I think it would be remembered even better, but because they they did the money grab of the second and the third one, I think it's a slight downgrade for The Hangover, but... Yeah, I feel like Vegas is, like, the perfect setting for, like, I don't know, where were the other ones? Like, Thailand? Bangkok is one of them. I haven't and, seen the other two. Yeah, the second one was Bangkok, Thailand, and then uh, the third one was just, I think it was back in Vegas, it was just kind of all over the place. So. Yeah. Yeah. But the first one was, I think people... Yeah, I think it was the perfect setting for Yeah, it just, I think it was just a... I laughed a lot during that whole movie. It was like non-stop laughs. Not really. <laughs> and then, in Bruges, to me, it is a dark comedy. It's very different from The Hangover. To me, it's more about the relationship between Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell yeah. and their interactions. It's almost, I know it's a weird comparison, but kind of like the first season of True Detective. Oh, yeah. Was, Kind of Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Just kind of like, I just kind of like love them together and like how they played off against each other. That's kind of I feel like in Bruges, it's more about the relationship of those two actors. And then I think the funny part is just how annoyed Colin Farrell is, is the fact that he's stuck in Bruges yeah. and how he just insults the city the whole time. And Brendan Gleeson's trying to get into it, and they're you know, <laughs> but I kind of like that back. I, I just like it's really a movie about them back and forth, and they could have put that movie in a bunch of different settings, and it would have been fine. It was really just about those two actors playing off against each other. Agree so. entirely there. And I think one of the, another fun fact about that one, they were going to do, to try to make them do English accents, and then they had such a great chemistry together, and they were just so natural with their Irish accents, they're like, you know what, just keep that, just make your characters yeah. Irish. Yeah. So they, could have filmed, they could have filmed that in some Irish town, they had the same kind of vibe. Yep. You know. yeah. And then it's like the whole thing about like you're right about in Bruges where he's like, why did they send me here if he was going to kill me? He's like, well, he wanted to give you like a nice, he's like, the Bahamas are nice. He could have sent me the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I I love uh, both of these movies. In Bruges in particular, like Mr. Lawson said it, it, it is a cult classic. I feel like it is a cult classic. If you haven't seen it, because it is, obviously the numbers were pretty low. I mean, it still did. Pretty, I think respectful on that budget in the in the box office, but not a lot of people heard about it. I don't think I didn't know about it until years after it came out. But I, I really do absolutely love that movie. But if I'm going to go with a movie that is funnier, I mean, Hangover was perfectly casted. I mean, everybody in that movie, Ed Helm. I feel like I knew who Bradley Cooper was and Zach Galifianakis a little bit before that movie, but that launched them to another level. Ed Helms especially too. Ken Jeong. I mean, it just it was amazingly cast and it was so funny. So as we get into voting here, I am going to give my vote to Hangover. In Bruges would have beat a lot of other movies on this list, and I hated that it randomly came up against uh, Hangover. But in this round, I have to go with Hangover. The first time I watched the movie Hangover was actually with Mrs. Lawson. Hmm. Wow, 
Yeah, at my parents' house. And my nine-year-old little sister kept on coming in, and I kept on chasing her out of the room. <laughs> you probably don't remember. It wasn't that memorable. Oh. At, your, at your parents' house, though? Yeah, it was like... It was the same time we played Pretty Pretty Princess. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but we also watched The Hangover, and my sister kept on coming in, and I kept on chasing her away because it wasn't an appropriate movie for her to watch. Probably not. But my phone is going to go to The Hangover. Oh, well, my phone's going to go for The Hangover as well. I'm just going to toss it for a bruise because it deserves a vote. Probably the movie did. Yeah, I agree. In Bruce, it, again, out there, I can't stress this enough. I mean, I, I've tried to show this to other people who did not like it. Uh, and I think Mrs. Uh, Mercy Warren was maybe one of them. But I think it's so, it, in a lot, a lot of ways, like, it's hard to understand it sometimes. I, when I watch it with subtitles, it's so much, I hate to say that because it's like, it's better with subtitles, but it is because you miss a lot of the humor sometimes if you don't understand what they're saying. I think it's a boy movie. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, I guess. It's yeah, more of a boy movie. Alright, so films number three and four see 27 Dresses face off against Borat. So 27 Dresses came out in 2008 starring Katherine Heigl, James Marston, Malene Ackerman, Judy Greer, and Danielle Skarsgård. I was doing so well up until Daniela Skarsgård. Whatever. Anyway, the wardrobe department had a hard time with their initial designs for the dresses for Katherine Heigl. Because she looked fabulous in every single one. They were taxed to the limit designing the dresses to look bad on her, which apparently they had a hard time doing. And I think the budget for the that movie on dresses alone was over a million dollars. So it tries to exile Borat, the cultural learnings of America for make-benefit glorious nation of Kazakhstan, which came out in 2006, starring Sasha Baron Cohen, Ken Dolthin, and Lunell. So, ironically and comically, Borat doesn't really speak Kazakh in the film. It's actually Hebrew with a heavy Eastern European accent. Also, Sasha Baron Cohen had the police called on him 92 times while filming and had multiple lawsuits filed. He reported that in one letter he received from a lawyer that sued him for $100,000, it ended with a note that said, P.S., I love the movie. Could you sign a movie poster for my son? <laughs> All right. Mercy Warren, films number three and four. Okay, 27 Dresses. I have always really liked this movie. I remember going to see it in theaters when it first came out with my mom, and I've seen it countless times ever since. I could probably quote this movie. I love it. It's it's wonderful. No notes. Borat is the first movie that I'm going to say I wish I have never seen it. Yeah. I've never watched it before. I've heard people with the bad accent, but I've never seen it before. And I just wish I hadn't. It was... I have no words <laughs> to how much I disliked this movie. In true Mercy Warren fashion, I did cry in one part because I cried everything. Yeah. So I might be the only living person that, says they, that could say they cried during Borat. Made you cry. The part at the very end when he finds out that Pamela Anderson's in a TV show and like no, the sex video. Oh yeah, the and, sex video. Yeah, the guys in the RV are so like they're like they're really drunk and they're like yeah, that's really hard. He's like no, no, Pamela was not to flower herself like that. He just seemed very. He was just so sad. <laughs> so yes. Wow. <laughs> he's a really good actor. 
I will admit that, yes, I did cry in one part, but, I mean, it was gross. There was, I don't need to see that much genitalia. I did not ask for that. The fact that he was just doing this without people knowing that he was even shooting a movie is mind-blowing. Crazy the lengths that he will go multiple occasions just for, like, a movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, I mean, Borat just wasn't my thing. I Just not at all. No. You see this in the theater? I I know that we, I know that Mr. Lawson and I saw in the theaters together because I think this was one of the first movies where our age group we were all like eighteen to go see it. I heard it's funnier if you saw it in a theater. Oh, it was hilarious! Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was with you, right? Where is it? And we saw Bruno together. Oh, he's in that too, isn't he? Yeah, it's Bruno came out like. I haven't that came seen out that after one. that. I wouldn't recommend it, Mercy, if you didn't like it. If it's anything like this, I probably don't want to see it, because Borat was just not my cup of tea. I I don't really understand how anyone likes it, in all honesty. I I know I'm being so mean, but... (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that's what it's supposed to do, just makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. I'll be the first person to say crude humor is not really what I find funny, and so, I mean, if crude humor is something you don't find funny, this would not be the movie for you. So, I mean, everyone just d- appreciates different kind of comedy. Right. So, I mean, this is one of those movies that's really just not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, from the two, I'm more of a 27 dresses person. Although, that movie, too, like, there are some... Let's have it. Go ahead. <laughs> like, I like the movie. There's just some parts of the movie that are just like like that <laughs> is it that movie or am I thinking of another movie? I don't know but like the just, just I don't know struggling. I am struggling but <laughs> I like James Mars and I like Kevin Heigl in this movie James Mars the sister is annoying I'll, I'll admit that the sister is the bad guy of that movie yeah yeah but, I mean, out of the two, I like that one more. But it's a, it's a chick flip. Sure. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> that, that wasn't on our uh, Valentine's Day bracket, wasn't it? I don't think. I don't think so. That would have felt a lot better on the Valentine's Day bracket, I feel. I mean, it has it funny moments. Yeah. Like when they're singing Benny and the Jets. Yeah. That, that's one of the best parts. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the budget for 27 Dresses was only $30 million. Lower than I thought it would be. Uh, box office, it made $167 million, so very successful. Mm-hmm. I'm a Borat, made at a budget of $18 million, wow. which is higher than I thought. I thought that, I was yeah. going to say, what did they use that money for? Lawsuits. <laughs> he drove and around in an RV. <laughs> it made $263 million. Yeah. So both these movies really successful. 27 dresses <laughs> from a guy's perspective it's such a mediocre romantic comedy it's like she was the girl who never had the wedding she was always the bridesmaid never the bride but then she finally meets someone she likes and of course they're against weddings and then they're talking oh, no. about she doesn't like him at first yeah exactly they don't like each other at first yeah. um, she likes the guy that her sister's going to marry. Yes. Yep. But then she based, is based off a lie for him. 
So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. I could have mentioned Ed Burns is in this movie too. He's a he's a pretty big name, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying it deserves an Oscar. I'm just <laughs> like, I mean, it's I mean, it is what it is—a cheesy like romantic comedy about weddings. But that's more of my speed. I just don't. There's, I, I just prefer knocked up to this. I'll be honest with you. I just. I just think this is the. There's not much for guys in this movie. No, just, you are correct. It's more it's of a very girl. Much a dick flick, where I feel like Knocked Up has a little bit more for everybody. Yeah. This is just kind of a. It's just more of a romantic comedy to me. Which, if, if you like it, then go ahead and watch Twenty Seven Dresses, and you'll have a moderately nice time. It's always <laughs> on TV. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So it's a pretty easy, low stress. Watch. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it. I'll give it that. Now, the stakes aren't too high. No. Borat, I thought, was amazing just because of the creativity, you know, just to have the guts to, to do all different, like, skits he did. It's really, like, it's like a sketch comedy, really just yeah. put together. Seeing it to, at the rodeo is fantastic. Yes. Singing, the, singing the national anthem in front of all those people, and just, no one, like... But it wasn't the national it, anthem. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was a joke. And people just thinking it's real. Yeah. Was that the one where he got Giuliani, or was that, or is this the, or is that? That's the second one, I think. Giuliani? Yeah, he gets rid of Giuliani in the second. Oh yeah, Giuliani's in yeah Borat too. Yeah, yeah. Borat too. I'm mean, like, there's just so many scenes like that where yeah. it's just, I don't know. It's just funny how he just he kind of tricks everybody, and just, he does a great job of making fun of neo neocons basically. Yeah. But doing it in a way that they don't really understand that he's making fun of them. And for him to stay in character in some of these scenes yep. is amazing. So just for the the guts of it, and just it was just something that was like no one had ever done before, to my knowledge. That was he made something that was really kind of like off brand and weird, mainstream. I mean, everyone was quoting that movie, like you know, the very nice, like everyone was doing that kind of stuff. Two points I'll make really quick on Borat, and and Mr. Lawson touched on that is like to stay in character one. But then also not knowing, I mean, he he legitimately between that and Bruno and then actually in Borat too, he put his literally his life on the line, you know, to do some of these things. And yeah. not only that, but I mean, like when he kidnaps Pamela Anderson at the end, spoiler, it, like a lot of people didn't know that that was like supposed to happen. So like you had people like what if one of them would have been like you kidnapped Pamela Anderson, like and they tried to kill him or curb stop him or something. You don't know. Also, too, the other thing I'll say is. Because it was basically unscripted to go into a situation yeah. and still get something funny and have those reactions that people had, not knowing what was going to happen. Like when, when he went into that rodeo, he had no idea what was going to happen. There's no way to have that many people react. You know, it could have been anything. So, I mean, it, it was really amazing. And at the time, too, I think in 2008, when we saw this in theaters, like Miss Lawson said, nothing had been done like that before. It was so shocking at the time. It might not be as shocking if it came out today. But it was so shocking and so original and so funny. I remember literally falling out of my seat and on the ground in the movie theater laughing. I couldn't watch it. It was I was laughing so hard I had to like stop watching it. Because <laughs> you just didn't know what to you didn't know what to expect at yeah. any moment. It was like first that's in the hotel. Like you had no idea yes. what was Oh yeah, and then again too, like what if somebody tased him or shot him if they thought you know it was something? I mean, you never know. I mean, that was you know security, police, you know anything could happen. So for that, I mean, Tony Seven Dresses is it's a, it's it's it is exactly what it is. It's a by the book, by the numbers kind of chick flick. I hate to use that term, but it's basically what it is. It is. Yeah. So my vote's gonna go to Borat. 
I do like how Borat says, like, whenever he's, like, surprised with something, he goes, like, wow, 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 I like that. that <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Yeah. yeah, like, that was cute. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, by, I'm sure you can know what I'm going to guess for. It may not win, but I'm going to give a vote to 27 Dresses anyways. I feel like it's going to go to the tiebreaker, because my is going to go for 27 Dresses, too. But, but you're still hearing quotes from Bora, even, like, yeah. years later on TikTok, because my name, like... The clock radio. <laughs> he could not afford the greatest success. That's a good impression, too. You're still hearing Bora, even today. It's definitely the more unique movie. Yeah, so I'm clearly going to vote for Borat, and let's see what Cybrick brings. All right, so early on in the episode, we have our VIP listener, Praz, who is going to decide the matchup here. And I guess I bet you he votes for Borat. I was going to say, I won't give his rankings, at least until the end of this episode, but he did have Borat edge out 27 dresses for the win here. Remember, people, you can be a VIP, too, and affect the course of history. If it had come down to IMDb scores, which I won't give right now, but Borat would have beaten 27 Dresses in IMDb 2. So. Either way. Yeah, either way. All right, so we move on to the next part of the bracket, which sees films number five and number six, The Devil Wears Prada, try to fight off an exorcism from I Love You, Man. So number five, The Devil Wears Prada, came out in 2006, starring Anne Hathaway, Meryl Streep, Adrian Grenier, Emily Blunt, and Stanley Tucci. So, Anna Wintour, the editor of Vogue and the inspiration behind Meryl Streep's character, was not invited to the premiere of the movie. She did see an advanced screening of the, of the film, however, with her daughter. Allegedly, her daughter could be heard throughout the screenplay saying, yup, they got that one right. It goes up against film number six, I Love You, Man, which came out in 2009, starring Paul Rudd, Jason Segel, and Rosita Jones. So, another, I like this fun fact here. The band Rush really did perform during the concert scene. The hour-long set was supposed to be for the cast and crew only, but die-hard Rush fans found out about the performance show and online events or online uh, message boards, and many of them showed up and crashed the concert and watched it with everybody there. All right, Mercy Warren. Okay, so here's the deal. I picked the Double Wears Prada, and no, it's not that funny, but. I just really like this movie and wanted to put it on the list, and I didn't know where else to put it. So I would have put it on if you didn't. So. so hence why the Devil Wears Prada is on this list, because even though it's not like ha ha laugh out loud funny, it's a good movie. It holds up. I really like both Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway, and I just think this is a really good movie. So even though it's not super funny, it was a good movie, and I'm defending it being on this list. I Love You, Man, this is my first time watching it, and it is one of the few movies that I watched for this podcast that I did not hate. So that's exciting, because it, it still had a little bit of a hint of like that romantic like comedy in it with the dynamic between Paul Rudd and Rashida Jones' character to make it, like, a Mercy Warren movie, but then it had, like, the like the buddy cop... Buddy cop is not the way we need to put that, but buddy it had, like, I, think it, I, I thought it was a romantic comedy with Jason Segel and... Yeah. That, yes. It definitely movie. had a bromance happening. Between, <laughs> yeah. There was definitely the bromance there, like... I thought it was a, a decent movie. I really like Paul Rudd and Rashida Jones, though, so it helps that they were in it, but... 
I thought it was a cute movie, and I liked how at the end, all of the, um, like, random people that he was, like, interviewing to be his best friend, best man, or his, like, best friend before Jason Segel, they were all in the wedding at the end. Yeah. Much like in 27 Dresses, when all of her, like, the people she was bridesmaids <laughs> for were... Like, they all were there for her. Yep. Yeah. Then, uh... <laughs> Who was the bodybuilder guy that was in 27 Oh, yeah, Luke, the Hulk. The Hulk. So, Devil Wears Prada is, like, my, one of my comfort movies. My mom just quoted, maybe the other day, to our daughter, and she was like, by all means, move at a glacial pace. You know, how that, like, excites me. Because she was trying to get her to, like, go to the bathroom. Uh, that's so, funny. As you can see, that movie is just, like, it's, it's such a good movie. Yeah, I love that movie, too. But then we also quote, I love you, man. Like, Mr. Lawson and I, too, because we'll, we'll silly slap at the, slap at the face. <laughs> so both are pretty quotable. This is probably going to be, like, the first tough matchup for me, at least. But both very good movies. Okay, so Devil Wears Prada... $35 million budget. It actually had the second highest box office on this list, the 16. It made $327 million at the box office. So, very successful. I Love You Man had a budget of $40 million and made $93 million at the box office. So, both successful. Obviously, Devil Wears Prada, huge movie. Yeah. So, Mrs. Lawson has had this on TV so many times at our house. And I can't really say that I see it's it's not really funny, but I don't I don't dislike it. Right. I don't really understand the hype for it in a way. It's it seems like it's pretty well done. I don't know. I don't get the it's a good movie. I guess I don't explain or someone could explain why. So I guess maybe one of you ladies or or Scott could explain to me. I mean, again, it's a movie that I like. I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why it has the hype, I guess. It's well, because Ian Hathaway's character, Yandy, is finding herself. She she goes from being, like, somebody who doesn't care about fashion or doesn't, like, put pride on that and wants to be a serious writer, and then she, like, learns... She gets this really good job with Miranda, but then realizes she has to change basically everything about her. So then she's, like, at this having this war with herself because by the like middle to end of it she is someone who basically stabbed her friend in the back to go to Paris over her but then she realizes what's really important yeah and the boyfriend is like kind of the bad guy when you look at it because... yeah. Adrian Garnier yeah he was a bit dramatic yeah, yeah he, was, he was a little needy he's very needy yeah I also don't like her friends it's kind of a girl power movie, yeah. Well, like Miranda Priestly, she's that lady. Yeah, like she's that B. That B. <laughs> For I Love You, Man, I I like the bromance. I thought it was perfectly cast because Paul Rudd and Nathan Segal, like, you kind of believe they could be weirdly friends. Like, them bonded over Rush, I thought was pretty funny in general. Uh, Rashida Jones was great. Yes. I, it was kind of, yeah, it was like a love story between two guys, which, in a, in a non, in a platonic way, which yeah. I thought was a very funny way to approach it. And, like, the way Rashida Jones was kind of, like, pushing Paul Rudd, like, get out there, like, go meet friends. Like, 
I don't know. It was just a funny. It was just a funny back and forth between Jason Segel and Paul Rudd and Rashida Jones, Troy. And again, a different, like different than usual. Like it's not a movie you typically see. It goes off script from the typical romantic comedy. It's like a friends comedy. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100. percent Like for Devil Wears Prada, I felt like if that movie tried to be funny, it could have been. Because of all the different situations that she's in, where it's like, go to this house, go to my house, but don't speak to anybody, don't do anything, and it's really <laughs> awkward. And then, yeah. yeah. And it, like, I felt like that could have been a huge laugh out loud moment. So as we get into voting here, my vote's going to go towards I Love You, Man. Devil Wars Prada, I thought, was a good movie, actually. I will give it that. And I can see why it was popular. It just it just wasn't really funny. And if on a comedy bracket, I got to go with I Love You, Man. The one that never heard of the band Rush before <laughs> I Love You, Man. Before. I had to play Rush for her. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. But, so I learned something new. <laughs> Going to go to the Devil Wars Prada. I mean, and also those girls were really lucky that they were able to get a screener of the Harry Potter book before. Oh, yeah. I like that. You have to go with my heart, and I will go with The Devil Wears Prada, even though I do like I Love You, Mia. I guess I'm going to go. I enjoy I Love You, Man better. I think it's funny. I think it's different. I think it's creative. I like Rush. So it, it, it appeals to me more than Devil Wears Prada. But I will say for a more popular movie about females, I think it's a really good one. Yeah, you know, I'll give it its its props. And uh, I do, uh, and the same thing when Mercy Worm was right, I I actually stopped the movie dead where it was, and I had to play her like three or four Rush songs, and I'm like, that's how that's absurd, how you could not know Rush. Yeah, I didn't know who they were. Did you like Rush after hearing them? They're not my new favorite. (laughs) So we're keeping Mr. Praz busy here with a second tiebreaker here. I won't keep this one in suspense here. He votes for I Love You, Man, in yeah, this one. <laughs> he made the right decision. I am to be... Actually, oh my gosh, these are really, really close scores. I Love You, Man beat out Devil Wars Prada by one minuscule point. That's Very. surprising, because didn't Meryl Streep win an Oscar for this for Devil Wars Prada? That's harder to believe than for it. <laughs> yeah, because like, Devil Wars Prada was like, nominated for Academy Awards and stuff. I- I feel like it's a better movie in itself. Yeah, that's surprising. It is. Like, it might not be as funny, and I love you, man. Once again, like, it was one of the better movies I watched for this podcast, but The Devil Wars Prada, it just has such an all-star cast. It's just such a good movie. Yeah. It was good. The people of IMDb are incorrect. It was close. <laughs> as is Pross. <laughs> Pross. <laughs> All right, so films number seven and eight close out the first half of this bracket. And these two movies, I had another potential VIP listener that I uh, let see the list. And he's like, how can you pick either of these movies over the other? I mean, he's like, these should be, these, these, you can. He's like, he, he almost refused to be a VIP because he couldn't pick between these two movies, which are number seven, Tropic Thunder, and number eight, Hot Rod. So Tropic Thunder came out in 2008, starring Ben Stiller, Jack Black, Robert Downey Jr., Jay Baruchel, Brandon T. Jackson, Danny McBride, Tom Cruise, and Matthew McConaughey. So Robert Downey Jr. really was like the character he played in the movie, Kirk Lazarus, and did in fact stay in character even when the cameras weren't on. Also, just like he said in the movie, I don't drop character until I've done the DVD commentary, Robert Downey Jr. did the DVD commentary as Kirk Lazarus. And it goes to war against film number eight, Hot Rod, 
which came out in 2007, starring Andy Samberg, Island Fisher, as we've called her before, Isla, Isla, Isla and Fisher. Isla, but we have called her Island Fisher before. Is that Borat's wife? Yeah, yeah. Borat's wife. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, Ian McShane, Yorma Tacone, Bill Hader, Danny McBride again, Will Arnett, and Sissy Spacek. So the script was originally written for Will Ferrell, but he obviously didn't do it. He did get an executive producer credit for the movie, though. But the Lonely Island team rewrote it for themselves, which took a year to do so. And then they em- ended up improvising many of the scenes anyway. So, <laughs> Mercy Warren, these two films. So, Tropic Thunder, I hate everything about what it chose to be. <laughs> that might be my, I. It took me about two or three times to try to watch this movie, and I complained the entire time. Yes, you did. Like, I was trying to bargain up to, like, get out of watching this watching this movie because I hated let's it that much. Let's hear the complaints. Yeah. Please. Okay. So, I'm, I mean, I get what it was trying to do. It wasn't parroting, I think is the wrong word here, but I'm going to use it anyways. It was drawing from a lot of other previous war movies. It was overly gory, like certain scenes in Saving Private Ryan. Um, it was an overuse of blackface by Robert Downey Jr. There was insensitive, like when he was doing that one character for the... Um, yeah, that was insensitive. Yeah, that was a little insensitive. It just, I just did not find the appeal in that movie. Like, it was, did not like that movie at all. Like, well, they were literally making a movie about a book that was a lie. It wasn't a documentary. <laughs> so, anyhow, I disliked Tropic Thunder immensely. Hot Red, I've always been an Andy Samberg fan. So, this was the first time I've watched this movie, but, I mean, I liked it. Was it, like, the best movie ever? No. But, I mean, it was everything you expect an Andy Samberg movie to be. It was, like, sweet. It was, I mean, I feel like I can't summarize this movie in a coherent way, but it was just... It was cute. <laughs> no redeeming character in Tropic Thunder. Me either. Jack Black, too. Like, he... Everyone was just kind of annoying. He just wanted to do drugs the whole time. Oh, yeah. Like it, I remember seeing this in the theaters as well, and then watching it again. It just felt the same way. Honestly, just... Not our cup of tea, I guess. But Hot Rod was good. I thought it was a good, cute movie. And... Um, Oh, Bill Hader and both of them, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot to say him yeah. again. I'm a Bill Hader fan and an Andy Samberg fan. So I would say I liked one more than the other, for sure. So Tropic Thunder had the highest budget of any movie on this list. I can believe I that. Believe that. $92 million. Oh. And the box office, it made $196 million. So still pretty successful. So Hot Rod is one of our two bomb movies on this list. So Hot Rod had a budget of $25 million and it only made $14.5 million. Lost over $10 million at the box office. So I feel like now it would do better though. Like the names that are in that movie. Yeah. It would do better today, honestly. That's how I feel too, honestly. Just because at that time, nobody knew who, like, Andy Samberg, Bill Hader, or who any of those people were. The Lonely Island. Yeah. yeah. Like, nobody knew who that was. Now that's a bigger name. Plus, like, 
I feel like that just that type of movie would do better in today's climates. Oh, I was gonna say, I just I remember a lot of people. I watched it um, in college, and we had like a, a showing in our dorm. There was like forty people that showed up and watched it. So obviously, like they didn't make any money from that. But it was. I remember everybody talking about that movie. Like it was, everybody had movie posters for that up. I think like it was one of those movies that did be- better after theaters, and it kind of gained like a bit of a cult following because everybody was talking about that movie, and I thought it was gonna be so stupid. And then we watched it. I'm like, that was really, really funny. Yeah, it, it, it was a movie that, like, because it did so poorly at the box office, I think everyone had low expectations when they watched it. And then everyone was like, oh, this is a really funny movie. Mm-hmm. For how much. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's kind of like other SNL skits where, like, at the time, the skit might be, you're like, eh, it's okay. But then you kind of grow to like the person more. Like, I, I like Andy Samberg way more now yes. than I did back then. So watching this movie now, it's like, I appreciate him, especially after Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I appreciate him more than I did at the time. I wasn't like, I didn't think he was like amazing back then, you know? So that kind of makes you like the movie more watching it now. Mm-hmm. Honestly, <laughs> the first scene where he goes to jump the ambulance and he goes, did you reinforce the ramp? And Danny, I think it's Danny McBride goes like, yeah. we didn't have time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Samberg just gets the crap beaten out of him most of the movie. That's pretty funny. Obviously, the long fall. Yeah. I think it, I think, is it the long, I think at the time it was like the longest, like, fall, like, in, like they've ever had, like, like in cinema, been. something yeah. like that. Like, cause it, just, it just kept going. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, mean, I don't think they did that on purpose. I think they were trying to set, like, a record. So, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen that Hot Rod, I think it's, especially if, again, it's more of a, it's more of a slapstick comedy. I think it's pretty funny. Tropic Thunder, I'm going to give it props because it's a movie that in no way would ever get made today because it's so offensive to, as you guys said earlier, everybody. Yes. The blackface and the... Excessive you know, use of the R word. Oh, yeah. yeah. didn't even mention that. And yeah, I, I mean, hate the R word. I just kind of... I will say, I just think it's a good... It's a Yeah, it's a... Like I said, it's a parody and it's... <laughs> in a lot of ways, insulting and pulling a light to just, like, the absurdity of Hollywood. Yeah. And the absurdity of producers with Tom Cruise and the special effects department just being, like, not, you know, not being coordinated with the rest of the movie. Yeah. So I just think it's a movie that I guess it's almost like that movie couldn't have been made today, and it was, like, that was the latest it could have been made, because after that, it wouldn't have been done, but... I thought there was some funny parts to it, honestly. Right. And I agree with that. And I remember I saw this movie in theaters. I think I might have seen it twice in theaters, actually, because I loved it when it came out. And it was the stuff where you're still at that age where, like, you're leaving high school, at, for our age group anyway, and or maybe, like, just entering college, where that's your level of humor still. You know, I, yeah. I feel like that came out perfectly for our time because people y- a little bit younger than us wouldn't have liked it. People older than us at the time would have been offended by it. And now we're, we've reached that age where, yeah, we're looking back on it like, man, I can't believe I thought some of these parts were funny. But when it came out, it was it was that movie was made for us at that time. So looking back on it now as we get into voting here, I still think there's still a ton of funny moments in Tropic Thunder. There was still a lot of moments when we re- rewatched it for this that I laughed at, laughed, you know, pretty hard at. But Hot Rod 
it was made a year before that movie. It was funny then. It's still funny now. I mean, just some of the, the randomness of the humor, too. Like, when they, they have the, the montage at the end where there's, like, that really, that, oh, song. And then a riot breaks out out of nowhere. <laughs> that was just, like, that was, I, I, I die laughing every single time I watch that. And then, like, he never lands a single jump the entire movie. I mean, it, it was so, so, um, wrapping it up here, uh, Hot Rod's going to get my vote. One more thing about each of these movies. Tropic Thunder, it took me the whole... I didn't realize that was Tom Cruise as the producer until the end credits when he was dancing around. Yeah. So I just did not even realize that was Tom Cruise. And Hot Rod, I actually also cried during this movie. You did? <laughs> so there were some tear-jerky moments. I don't remember Yeah, that. when he finds out about the truth about his dad. Oh, yeah. And when he goes to the movie theater and they're playing his movie and everyone starts laughing at him. Oh, that's right. You're like, that's so sad. I remember that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, of course, I cried during Hot Rod. I'm also going to vote for Hot Rod, and I remember in college, this was like, I remember in college, this was like a girl on my college tennis team's like favorite movie, so shout out to that girl, <laughs> but <laughs> that's where I first learned about this movie, um, and found out that it was pretty fun, because she was a pretty cool there you go. Get the brooms out. The first sleep of the evening for Hot Rod. That is true. All right. So the second half of the bracket sees number nine's Little Miss Sunshine face off against number 10's John Tucker Must Die. These are very, two very different titles. <laughs> so Little Miss Sunshine came out in 2006 starring Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Greg Kinnear, Abigail Breslin, Paul Dano, and Alan Arkin. So, fun fact, the film was in production for five years, mostly due to the very low budget. The producers at the time didn't like the idea of casting Steve Carell because he wasn't known in Hollywood after only being on The Daily Show and other small bits, and questioned his acting experience. However, it took so long between the film wrapping to when it premiered that when it did, The Office had aired to wide acclaim, and also 40-Year-Old Virgin had also come out, so suddenly they had a big star and ended up promoting him to much more prominence on the posters and in the marketing. So it tries to win the pageant verse film number 10, John Tucker Must Die, which also came out in 2006, starring Jesse Metcalf, Ashante, Ariel Kebel, Sophia Bush, and Brittany Snow. So director Betty Thomas referred to all the characters by their character's name. I'm sorry, all the actors by their character's name in the movie, mainly because she couldn't remember what their real names were. <laughs> when she would forget the character's names, she simply referred to them as you person. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Mercy Warren. Okay. So even though I picked one of these movies, neither of them are my favorite. Little Miss Sunshine, I just, I also cried during that movie. <laughs> I can see why. That's what, yeah. That's the first yeah. wife. <laughs> Who plays the brother? In um, Penn. Penn Badgley. Thank you. That's either like his first movie or like you get your first appearance from him. So he's a pretty big actor right now. But, so I liked it back then. And I, you know, it's an okay movie. I think Little Miss Sunshine is a better movie, you know, obviously. I've seen a better storyline, better movie itself. So it'll be interesting how this goes. It's definitely like a dark 
I kept saying, like, this is a comedy, but it's it's a dark comedy, yeah. for sure. We're getting a lot of, like, mix of, like, comedies and dark comedies and what a mix of movies on this bracket. It's interesting. Yeah, so Little Miss Sunshine had the lowest, as Scott mentioned earlier, the lowest budget of all these movies. $8 million was the budget, so by far the lowest, really. And it made a, over $100 million at the box office. So, <clears throat> as you mentioned, that Steve Carell timing really could have been better. It worked out. John Tucker had an $18 million budget, probably on the actors, mostly, I'm guessing, and then made $69 million at the box office. So it, it did okay, which is how I feel about the movie. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> a sunshine, I agree. It's a dark comedy. It's, I would say it's, it's quirky, in a way. And... Unlike some of the other dark comedies earlier, there's some really laugh out loud moments in it. Yes. It's not like it's the whole time being serious. Right. The grandpa was, I thought the grandpa was hilarious. Ellen Arkin was amazing in the Ellen movie. Ellen was fantastic. I was kind of, I was a little bit sad when they killed him off. Like, just in general, I was sad, but I was also sad for the movie because it wasn't much longer like it had after he died. Like, yeah. There wasn't that much longer. Just yeah, like, I, I just liked him. He, he was just the best part of that movie. I was like, oh, he's gone now. But I see why they did it, because, like, them getting pulled over and then finding the gay porn in there instead of, like, instead of the body was just such <laughs> a hilarious moment. Like, that's another one. I mean, yeah. yeah. There was a few that were just hilarious. Like, the pageant at the end. Yeah. So, I thought there was a lot of funny parts to it. The car horn. The car horn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, like every time they had to get the car started with like the running yeah. start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean Well, I thought there was a lot of good parts to it. It was quirky, it was offbeat, and I don't know, I, I thought the relationship Steve Carell had with the with the son, like the depressed son, I thought yeah. was pretty good overall. Yeah, you, you, I felt like, I felt like you kinda of bought that like relationship. So I thought the movie had a lot going for it. Where John Tucker, yeah, it's I will say with John Tucker Must Die, though, there were there were a couple things going for it. I, I did. It, it kind of gave me like a Mean Girls vibe with it. And I did find it funny how we turned like every bad situation against them into positive one, even if it was brief, like the herpes thing or whatever, or, like the STD. And then like the whole him wearing a thong turned into something, too, where <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And then the estrogen powder and his yeah. protein powder. And yeah. he's like, what about me in the yeah. middle of the game? Yeah. And everyone applauded him yeah. for being in touch with his feelings. So like I, I didn't want to watch it, but I did watch it for the bracket. That was my first time seeing it. And I thought I was like actually pleasantly surprised. The one thing that did annoy me is like the three girls trying to get him back. I was like, they just seem so un-high school <laughs> to me. <laughs> like it just I never I mean like there were some weird girls at our high school or like you know out there girls but I felt like none of them like would have like they can't be real they were just so exaggerated exaggerated thank you yep that's yeah a little bit of sunshine I, I that has a special place in my heart because I was I, I was still in college at the time but I was working and I had an apartment and I I had to I saw it on Christmas Eve for the first time in like 2009 or 2010 and I wasn't able to make it home because I had to like, I think it was actually Christmas Day. It was Christmas Day, actually. I, I watched it with some friends from uh, work or school who also didn't go home for the holidays. And I, I was like really depressed. I didn't think I'd be like, you know, I was like, oh, it's like my first Christmas. I'm not at home. And then I watched it with some friends. 
and loved it. I had like such a great time watching this movie. It turned out to be, I love the soundtrack with, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but like the, the, some really good songs in there. The acting was amazing. There was some great laugh out loud moments and it turned like, what I would have thought would have been a really bad situation or like a really sad situation to a really funny one. Yeah. And so like, I really, I'll always remember that movie from that. So, so just beginning to voting, my vote's going to go to little miss sunshine. My vote's going to go to little miss sunshine as well. Going to, yeah, I have, I don't remember my mom and I seen this in the theater and like laughing and crying and then laughing at like the very end. It was yeah. just a good memory. Although John Tucker, I watched a lot with my friends too, like growing up. I did too. Good memories. Both have good memories, but Little Miss Sunshine, I'll get my vote. Glass of sunshine for Little Miss Sunshine. All right, so we get further into the second half of the bracket here, and we see film number 11 and number 12. And that is number 11, the cult classic Hot Tub Time Machine, going up against number 12, Knocked Up. So Hot Tub Time Machine came out in 2010, starring John Cusack, Rob Corddry, Craig Robinson, Clark Duke, Sebastian Stan, and Chevy Chase. So the image the guys see when they realize they're in the 80s are the images flashing on the TV. There is one shot of Chevy Chase from his appearance on a Paul Simon music video, You Can Call Me Al from 1986, which is the year they went back in time. And it tries to drown 2007's Knocked Up, starring Seth Rogen, Katherine Heigl, because the hot tub... <laughs> Paul Rudd, Leslie Mann, and a bunch of Seth Rogen's and Judd Apatow's friends. There's a lot of them in there. So originally, this movie was supposed to be a follow-up to the 40-year-old virgin, and all the characters from the Smart Tech team would be who they were in that film. The idea was changed. The, the idea was changed, however, and so this is 40, which came out in 2012, used this idea. So we almost had a knocked up universe. We could have had like a three movie trilogy in that uh, era there. <laughs> knocked up. So this is 40 was a sequel to Knocked Up. No, uh, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is 40 was, the, they were the same characters from, but I don't think like Catherine Heigl and Seth Rogen were in that. I, I, I kind of, I saw parts of that movie. I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing. I don't so. think I have either. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, but Paul Rudd and um, Leslie Mann were uh, the same characters, so. All right, Mercy Warren. Okay, so Hot Tub Time Machine's going to fall into another list of movies that I just wish I've never seen. <laughs> I mean, it it just was not made for me. It was very much a... It had a lot of crude humor in it, which is not my, not my scene. Way too much vomit for my taste, which is also not my scene. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, way too many bodily functions. I mean, the premise is cool, like, time travel, and then Chevy Chase is, like, the cryptic, maybe possibly invisible angel hot tub repair guy was, I mean, that might have been the best part of it for me, like, because he was, like, using things that could be, like, referred to as, like, hot, he could be talking about a hot tub or, like, the whole time travel thing, and he never really let on to what he's talking about, so I thought that was a little clever, but... Overall, the movie was just really not my cup of tea. Not that I actually did like. This is my first time seeing the whole thing. I've seen bits and pieces before, but this is my first time seeing the whole thing. This, like, span of years, the 2006 to 2010, even a little bit past 2010, that was really Katherine Heigl's heyday to be in, like, movies. She was That's before she left Grey's Anatomy, and she was just everywhere. And, I mean, this movie, it, it kind of also had everything. It had the romantic comedy elements. It had, like, the buddy cop 
comedy yeah. elements as Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen became close friends. They went to so going the part with the when they went to Cirque du Soleil on mushrooms. They were even worse. I went to Cirque du Soleil with Scott once. Yes, and they were even worse than he was. And I thought <laughs> he was bad to go to Cirque du Soleil. It freaked me out. I really did. No, he was like, "What? Are, what are they doing? Why are they standing on that? Why is there no net? Are they going to fall?" <laughs> like he was so concerned for the performers' safety that like. I thought going to start to slay with him was bad, but like them on mushrooms was even worse. But <laughs> yeah, we've seen a couple of circus delations. Does Mr. Lawson freak out during them? He did not. He did okay. <laughs> yeah, no, Scott was freaking. But so it got that kind of when they go to Cirque du Soleil, that kind of reminded me of Scott at Cirque du Soleil. But I mean, it was a cute movie. Like the fact that they end up putting their relationship back together at the end and realizing that they don't have to force it for the baby. And I always like the scene at the end, because this is the part I have seen before where he's driving like two miles an hour. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's a cute movie. I guess Catherine Heigl is like crapped on that movie, like in interviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like she didn't enjoy being in that movie or something, or she didn't, I don't know. She, she just doesn't, I, I like heard that she is not a fan of that movie, but I really honestly enjoy that movie a lot. We like watched it a lot on TV. I thought she did really well in that yeah. too. I've heard Catherine Heigl is hard to work with though. Hmm. I heard that too. Yeah. I've heard that too. But I feel I don't know. That's why I like I don't know. But I feel like yeah. of that movie. Yeah. But I feel like it's one of her better movies, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like you said, it has like the relationship, it has the Buddy, buddy friendships. It has like, like sarcastic Paul Rudd in it. So mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of everything. Um, Hot Top Time Machine. We talked about it, and I know, like, we talked about this in conversations too. But like, it makes sense for a lot of the people that are in that movie. But why John Cusack is in that movie, I have no idea. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't name another movie he was in. I have like a vision of him holding a boombox over his head. Anything. Yeah. So that's like the only. He was in that too, I think. But he just doesn't fit that movie. And I feel like, you know, when you have like a a veteran like comedy person like Chevy Chase, like I feel like they could have used him a little better in that movie too. Honestly. Um, in my opinion, but uh, I had never seen it before, and it was like I don't know if I would ever watch it again. <laughs> but oh, it just, I will. Yeah, it just kind of had like like Mercy said, the vomit. You just kind of had like a yucky feeling like the whole time watching it. That's how I kind of felt. You kept saying, you said Kevin. I was like, ugh. Yeah, it was like icky. Like that was the word I was using. Like yucky, icky. I don't know, but they're just my thoughts. <laughs> So real quick, the budget was $36 million for Hot of Time Machine. Made 65 at the box office, so pretty good. Knocked up had a budget of only $25 million. Surprisingly, it wasn't that low with all the big stars in it. And it made $220 million at the box office. I believe that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hot of Time Machine, I admit, I put it on the list, and I remember it being funnier than it actually was. It kind of dragged for me in a, certain parts of it. Too much Rob. Was it Cordroy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Too many scenes with him. 
The funniest part was with the guy from Back to the Future with his arm was chopped off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They kept setting up like scenes where like, oh, it's like, oh, it's gonna happen here. Yep. It's gonna happen here. Like they start with a chainsaw in the air, and like somehow it like never happened. And so I thought that was really, I thought that was my favorite part of it. Where they kept setting up like, oh, he's clearly getting his arm chopped off here, and it like <laughs> <laughs> it somehow not happens. Yeah. Uh, I also like the fact the squirrel, like when he goes to gamble on the sports. Yeah. On, on the on the Browns uh, yeah. Broncos game, he's like, I know the outcome to this because like a famous. Brown's failure. And yeah, the, the drive or something like that, yeah. Yeah, a squirrel comes on and, like, changes history, and he's like, oh, my God. So <laughs> like, everything just kind of backfires for Rob Corey during that movie. But, yeah, the ca- if they would have casted someone better. I, I was I made a note of this because Mrs. Lawson said it perfectly. I feel like this should have been Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn, I think, would have been perfect for that, or, like, one of the Wilson brothers, like Luke Wilson or something. Some Somebody who's actually worked, like, he, he would have felt that fit that mold, you know, like the old school kind of thing. Somebody like that would have been perfect instead of John Cusack. But there would be yeah. too much Vince Vaughn. And there's a limit, there's a quota that I can reach of Vince Vaughn. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't like Vince Vaughn. He would have been better in this. I agree. Because yeah. yeah. you can tell that John Cusack really didn't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was yeah. pretty horrible. I don't know who, like that was the one of the worst casting decisions I think could have been. Not that John Cusack's not a bad actor, but this this wasn't his movie. Like, what was he doing in this movie? And they tried to give him like they gave him like comedic and serious scenes. Yeah, yeah. And it just didn't really work. Uh, but like you guys mentioned earlier, Knocked Up has it has like yeah, funny comedy, romantic comedy. Paul Rudd is fantastic in it. I think there's a lot going for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the baseball, the baseball fantasy draft, oh, yeah. relatable, you know, where he's like the guy just wants some time away, and so I think it's just a lot of funny, but I like this, this part in the club where like uh, they won't let the, the girls in because they're pregnant and old, and yeah. not not like old for the earth, just old for this club. Craig yeah, Craig Robinson again. Yeah, Craig Robinson again. Yeah. When he's like doing the dancing with the dice thing, and Jonah Hill's like, I think he's doing too much of the dice. <laughs> yeah, even, even like Paul Rudd would have been better than John Cusack. Yeah, he's probably like too good for that. I was gonna say, I don't really see him with that. Well, he wasn't like a leading, I don't really know if he was like a leading guy yet in 2010, 2009. Oh, he was. Yeah, yeah it, it was like all about, that stuff was about the, you know, the, the birth of the, of the child and yeah. the, the couple, but like, the side characters were all really funny. Yeah, yeah. All of his, all of his friends in that movie were hilarious. Yes. And then, like, even like I said, like her sister was really funny in that movie. Yep. So, right, like, yeah. I just thought all the side characters really hit and knocked up. I think that's kind of what made it better than that typical romantic comedy. Also, well, I'm starting to realize that Martin Starr is just in every movie for this area. Yeah. He's like a small role in everything. Yeah, yeah. small role. Yeah, in here, like, yeah. I never realized that. Yeah. Um. I'll just say one thing about Hot Shot Time Machine because you guys nailed it with the the casting choice, like everything too. Is this, I think my main problem with Hot Shot Time Machine is that they freak out way too much about going back in time and then too long, like like too much of the movie is them like, oh, we're back in the '80s and stuff. Like they still keep freaking out about it instead of just like embracing it and then trying to like the whole thing about trying to get back in time, where it's like okay. Like just like if they would have just had more fun with it being in the eighties and like just trying to relive some of the glory moments and then you know I think that would have been such a better direction. But uh, Chevy Chase was really good in that, and uh, I thought he was really funny. As we get into voting here, Knocked Up's gonna get my vote. I thought all around it was just a much better movie. I uh, I like that movie. Your turn. My vote's gonna go to Knocked Up. 
All right, so Knocked Up moves into the next round. As we get deeper into this part of the bracket, we see film number 13 go up against film number 14, which is Superbad going against Dan in real life. So Superbad came out in 2007, starring Michael Sarah, Jonah Hill, Christopher Mintz-Plasse, Bill Hader, Seth Rogen, and Emma Stone. Because Christopher Mintz-Plasse, a.k.a. Fogel, a.k.a. McLovin, was only 17 at the time of filming, his mother was required to be on set during the filming of his sex scene. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Can you imagine that as not only a kid, but your mom having to be there? <laughs> and then the direction from the director going like, okay, now do it more like this and get on top of her like that. <laughs> Just like, how awkward would that be? All right. So that is my awkward fun fact. And uh, one of the sex facts we've stole from Mrs. Uh, Lawson. She usually likes to give those. So it goes up against film number 14, the super good film Dan in Real Life, which also came out in 2007, starring Steve Carell, Juliette Binoche, Dane Cook, Allison, P Allison Pill, and Diane Wiest. So fun fact about this film, uh, improv was encouraged during filming, which led to many laughs among the cast. To also help, the movie was filmed in a real house in Rhode Island, where the cast bonded and got to know each other before filming. So I thought that at least showed through in the filming of the movie, at least, where they actually, they, they had pretty good chemistry. I don't think the acting was that great, but at least the chemistry was pretty good, I would say. Mercy Warren. So this is the part of the podcast where I confuse everybody, because ordinarily you would think, if you were thinking like Mercy Warren, you would think that I hated Superbad and loved Dan in real life, but we're going to flip that, because... Yeah. Superbad, well, it's not my favorite movie ever. Um, at least it was entertaining. It, my favorite parts were with the policemen and um, McLovin. Like, that whole arc was yeah. really funny. And I liked how there was, like, the friendship part of it going. There was, like, the friendship arc going through it. And, I mean, yes, there were, were there some gross parts? Yes. Were there some crude male humor parts? Yes. But overall, the premise... I found there were some cute parts, and I was never bored watching it. Also, fun fact, Michael Cera and Bill Hader share a birthday, and that happens to be my birthday as well, so we're all birthday buddies. How fun. Yeah. So, anyhow, in the day in real life, it was just, I found it really boring. I don't know if anybody else found that movie really boring. I was just very bored. It was like the longest hour and a half. I know, right? Steve Carell's character was just really whining. He didn't handle any of the situations with his bro with Dane Cook's girlfriend appropriately at all. Like, I feel like so much of the movie could have been flushed out if they would just talk to each other and had an open dialogue between him and his daughters, him and his brother. I mean, I just was very... It was very boring. Like, it was ordinarily a movie you think I would just eat right up, but I was just so bored that, like, I had to fight to get through it. Yeah, it's kind of like Steve Carell is kind of the annoying one. Mm -hmm. I think it was okay. He was, like, a supportive brother for, like, most of the time. And then you just had that, like, awkward dance scene with, like, the four of them and, like, the bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with Amy was, Adams. Oh, yeah. But one of our funniest, I mean, we didn't hate the movie. We had seen it before, actually. We saw it in the theaters, Dan, in real life. But one of our funniest 
things that we like to quote is like the that when the daughter is yelling at him and saying, "You are a murderer of love." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His daughters were the best part of that movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you could tell they did have good chemistry. <laughs> like I'm sure, like. That's not like the family dynamic I have. I feel like I would want to bang my head against the wall if that was my family oh, yeah. like yeah. We're so close together. But you know that I'm sure I'm sure some people's families are like that, and they really love that. <laughs> and they just every moment together play games <laughs> and hide weird hide and seek games. But you mean anyway. your family doesn't have a talent show, Mrs. Lawson? <laughs> no, talent show. I can see Mr. Lawson's side of the family doing that, though. Crossword, yeah. puzzles, tournaments. Very fun. <laughs> so, yeah. And then super bad. I agree with Mercy. Um, it's just like a millennial classic. But it is never boring. I feel like Jonah Hill does a really good job with like keeping the jokes going in that movie and just being really entertaining. I feel like they're a good duo together, um, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill. But yeah, you are never bored in Super Bad. You it's just like scene after every scene is different. Like they're in a different mm-hmm. place and it keeps your attention. So Well, Super Bad had a budget only twenty million dollars, made up hundred and seventy one million dollars at the box office. And Dan in real life had a budget of $25 million, which I would love to know what they spent that money on. Because <laughs> it had to been the actors. Yeah. Well, it's not special effects or anything. Oh, yeah. And then it made $69 million at the box office. So it wasn't like a flop. It did okay. Yeah. Well, super bad. I'm, I don't usually give fun facts, but Bill Hader, I guess, wanted to, really wanted to wear glasses. Because I guess he like, saw a cop with glasses one time. He thought that was just very funny. Uh-huh. So he, he wanted to wear glasses the whole time with the cop. I guess they, the guy who played is a Fogel. Yeah, make, uh, Christopher Mintz yeah. said. Like, I guess he, like I said, he was so young that he didn't get like a lot of references. <laughs> Bill Hader and like Seth Rogen would make all these like references and he wouldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they would kind of like trick him to be like, oh, this movie is, is like, Instead of being some like some comedy, they would say it's like a documentary. It just, it just applied to them. It just applied to the kid all the time. Yeah. And, like they didn't get all the references that they had. Uh, and I guess that I guess Jonah Hill tried to make Michael Sarah laugh. I guess, but like had a really really hard time with it. To get him the break, you mean? Like yeah, he like couldn't give him the break in any scenes. Like he he was, he was almost like he was just impressed. Like he would try all this different stuff, and he really had a hard time getting him to break. Okay. But I just like, yeah, I, I mean, it's just a great combination yeah. with with Jonah Hill, you know, Seth Rogen, Bill Hader. That's like, and like I said, the cop scenes, I think, are my favorite, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And uh, the way how they try it. I like when they apologize to him when they, like, they basically ruin his, like, you know, his big moment. Yeah, they cock-blocked him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they cock-blocked him. Like, oh, we can't cock-block him. We got to guide his cock. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> And then, like, we're thinking of a way to make it up to him. I thought that was really funny, you know. <laughs> that's not that far too bad. In real life, I feel like would have been a lot better had the soundtrack had some pep to it. Like, mm. the, yeah. music, the music was so sleepy. Very sleepy. Uh, could help move it along a little bit. Yeah. I also didn't think that, like, they didn't really reflect on, like, the fact that, like, Steve Curl's wife died. 
they, they, they. Maybe they, like didn't really treat him that nicely. Like, yeah. Dane Cook did. Like Dane Cook, like felt you could tell felt bad for him. Right. No one in the else. No one else in the family really seemed to give him. Anything. Even his own children. I know. Stars. Yeah. Who were like really harsh on him. Yeah, but but then like his one daughter made him that card, or and like he would or the poster. That was a book. It was like a story. Oh, the book. Yeah. I think it was like a story book. And he was just yeah. like, nope, I'll go look at it later. Like. He just was not parenting them appropriately either. Yeah. No, no. Like, and then it's like in the last five minutes of like the movie, then everyone kind of like flipped and like felt bad for him. I felt like, but until then, it was kind of like, oh, like they just didn't have a lot of sympathy for me. No. Like, like, well, four years had passed, so it's not like it had just happened. I, I know. It just kind of seems like. It, it, just, it felt like there was like an almost unspoken thing with the family where it's like, okay, get over it now. Stop being a sad sack kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Very different movies going against each other in the phone right here. Yeah. I think uh, I remember now, too, I uh, I wrote this episode a while ago, but I did super good for Dan in real life, um, ironically, because it went up against super bad, which is actually a super good film. So as we get into voting here... Uh, I, I actually kind of disagree a little bit with Dan Cook and Dan in real life. I felt he was so out of place in that movie. I felt there was so many veteran actors in that, like with Diane Weiss and the dad from Frasier, Steve Carell even at that point. I felt like even the, the girls, the, the daughters were really good actresses. And Dan Cook just felt so out of his element. That was like, I remember I tried watching that movie at the time when it came out because I was a huge Dan Cook fan. I'm like, he was just so out of his element. I could not see him as a ta- like a, as a dramatic or you know, any kind of actor with that, too. I felt he was more better suited for roles like in uh, Waiting when he played the Floyd, the cook. Like, yeah. that's the kind of role Dane Cook should play. Not like, oh, I'm a sympathetic brother, and then you cheated on me with my girl, or you cheated on my girlfriend, and then he got over it so quick. He just, like, ended, ended up going, was that Amy Adams or Emily Blunt? Mm-hmm. Amy Adams. Yeah, and then just, like... Or was it Emily Blunt? It was Emily Blunt. Yeah. It was Emily Blunt, not Emily Adams. I'm sorry. So... But Superbad, I saw this movie in theaters and I loved it. I, I like it's such a funny movie. The casting was out like a, I mean, when you look at like a young Emma Stone in that, like the Christopher Mintz Place, the chemistry between Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, and then also Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah too. That was it. It is like you couldn't have casted that movie better. I know, like in the last movie we spoke about how uh, John Cusack was bad for uh, Top Top Time Machine. But they didn't get anything wrong with this one. Even down to like um, Joe T- Torino, I think it was. Um, he's also on Brooklyn Nine Nine. He plays Charles. Joe and, Trulli, yeah. yeah, and then he was like the guy who gets hit by the car, and you know, like the whole scene. I mean, it was just it was so well done. Um, like Mrs. Lawson said too, not a boring moment. So my vote's gonna go to Superbad here. So my vote's gonna go to Superbad because it was a better movie, and my birthday buddies are in it. Humor, well, like buddy, buddy humor, the guy humor, but you also, it's also mm-hmm. funny. Like, you know, women can watch it too. There's a good balance. It's a good balance for sure. Um, so my vote is going to go for uh, Super Bad as well. So I did actually, I'm going to give the good props. I actually did like him in the movie. I thought he was, I thought he did the best he could in that movie <laughs> in Dan Real Life. But I will give the easy vote to Super Bad. Around this time, movie that used the "Let My Love Open the Door" song. Yeah, which Dan Cook butchered. I thought Steve Carell did actually a pretty good version of that song, but Dan Cook, he's like, okay, what, what part do I sing next? Oh, oh, oh that, yeah, that's right. Uh, I just I feel just, like uh, every movie during this time period that was just in it. Yeah, that's, that's 
Yeah, he, that's when I, I kind of decided I hated, not hated this movie, but I'm just like, this. I'm over this movie. Yeah, that was so bad. All right, so the final two movies on the bracket before we get into quick voting here to close out the show. We'll see Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, go against another Steve Carell movie, which is Get Smart. So Walk Hard came out in 2007, starring a huge cast, but many of them cameos. So I'll go over the main ones. And the main cast is John C. Riley, Jenna Fisher, Tim Meadows, and Ray Berry. So Dewey Cox audition, where he sings That's Amore, is a reference to Elvis Presley in his audition, audition for Sun Records, where he wanted to sing like Dean Martin. But Sun Record president Sam Phillips refused to record him until he sang That's Alright Mama. With three Sunhouse band artists who obviously worked for who didn't know Elvis that well, so they didn't really know how uh, you know how to how to play in sync with him. But it obviously worked out for all of them. Because I think Elvis had a pretty good career, unless I'm wrong. That tracks. Okay. <laughs> so it tries to walk hard all over 2008's Get Smart, starring Steve Carell, Anne Hathaway, Alan Arkin, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Terrence Stamp. So the per- the project, this I have two fun facts here. The first fun fact is the project first came into development in 1998 with Jim Carrey attached to direct. Or, I'm sorry, direct to star. He was supposed to star in it. And then also, so the five-minute skydiving scene where Steve Carell's Maxwell Smart falls from the airplane after he's, like, in the airplane bathroom and he shoots himself with the needles mm-hmm. and then falls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then he's saved by Agent 99, uh, who's up Hathaway. So it was filmed over four weeks, and the skydivers did over 70 jumps in the process. Fred Whitsitt, who was Steve Carell's skydiving stunt double, had a custom-made skydiving rig hidden under his shirt jacket, his suit jacket, in case Anne Hathaway's stunt double couldn't get to him fast enough. It would open automatically if it reached a certain altitude, but they actually filmed that, like actually skydiving out of a plane, 70 times to get it right. That's crazy how many times that is. Yeah, that, but then for a five-minute scene in the movie, too. But then they actually, they didn't, like, use, like, a soundstage or something. They actually had real stunt people going out there. I mean, I thought that blew my mind when I saw that fun fact. So, all right. Mercy Warren, close out the show with this. Okay. So, I've seen pieces and parts of Walk Hard before this. And it's not my favorite movie. It lasts about 11 years. And it's just such a long movie. I'll admit there are some Bob songs in it. And John C. Riley is a pretty good singer. But, like, there's just so much happening. And he's really not that good of a guy. Like, he pays no attention to his however many children he has. Or Kristen Wiig. It, well, the comment on Johnny Cash being not the best father. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing. There was a, it was a documentary. Do, like, they did, like, draws of, like, real people and, like, a lot of the songs that he's saying, you could tell that it was actually, he was trying to be somebody just with a farcical song. He was trying to emulate an actual person. But the music was actually really good. Well, and, yeah. yeah, I agree with that part. But, like, just he was not a nice guy. Who, and even to Jenna Fisher, he didn't tell her the truth or, like, or was not very good to hit her either until well, the end. Yeah, 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 I understand. You can't analyze it like I don't that. understand rock and roll, apparently. But it's a parody. Yeah. It's a parody, yeah. I mean, that, the one part that I do find funny, actually two parts, the whole, like, he can't smell thing. 
Spell blind. Yeah. Like I felt like that was part of like a funny part, and then I like the Beatles part where it's like I wrote a song about an octopus. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part of the movie. I think that, that is so funny. Yeah. Shove it. I wrote a song about an octopus. Shove it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> we got Mercy Warren to swear on the podcast for the first time ever. That's so. I thought that part was funny. And get smart. Is it the best movie that's ever been made? No, but is it like a? But is it like a feel-good, fun romp to watch? Yes. So I mean, it like it's not going to win an Oscar anytime soon. But I've always thought it was just a fun, fast-paced, like good little movie. There's mixes of like obviously comedy, like a lot of slapstick comedy. Then there you have just some mystery, you have some thriller, you have some action. So it's just kind of all of that tied up in a nice, neat little bow. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's smart. It's, it's entertaining. It's mm-hmm. a up. It has the celebrity cameos. Yeah. The cast. It's an entertaining watch. Something that you go in knowing that you're going to watch and Exactly. It's it's just fun. And I've always liked Ian Hathaway, so like I just I like that she's in it. I like her character as ninety-nine. There's just so much Steve Carell in this bracket. Oh yes. This is the heyday of Steve Carell. This is the time of Steve Carell, I guess. It really was. Um, Walk hard. I agree with Mercy. It is entirely too long. There are some bops. I always like the like guilty as charged song for mm-hmm. some and John C. Riley, like he is a very good singer, like you know. Um, but it is you know, if you've seen Walk the Walk the Line, yeah. like uh, Johnny Cash, you know, you're gonna make the connection and it's just like a it's a silly it's a silly movie. <laughs> um again, you know, entertaining in its own way too. So Walk Hard is our second bomb of the of the group. Really? Had a, I had a budget of $35 million, only made $21 million at the box office. Okay. Shocked by that. Do well. That's crazy. Get Smart, $80 million budget, 231 at the box office. $80 million? Well, with the skydiving thing, that probably that wasn't cheap. So. There was some like, kind of action-y parts. Yeah. So... If, if anybody's ever seen Walk the Line, I mean, if you like Johnny Cash, it's a really great movie to watch. I know. That, <laughs> that movie, as much as I like Johnny Cash, I do like that movie, it drags. Yeah. Oh, it does. Walk the Line does, too? Yeah, and so Walk the Line kind of drags a little bit. Was that it? No, I was <laughs> she's moving the computer. Oh, okay, it was a sec, yeah. <laughs> So both Walk the Line and Walk Hard kind of drag, but Walk the Line is more of a serious, you know, yeah. serious movie, and, you know, Walk the, Walk Hard is just too long for a comedy. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It, it just, it didn't need to be that long. I like the John, I like John C. Bradley singing, but there was just a lot of parts they could have cut out of it. Again, it's, it's almost like they were just trying so hard to mimic Walk the Line. That they, that they also kept in the long, boring parts. Yeah. Cut some of that for the benefit of the movie. 
Yeah, he's like the Tim Meadows part. That's I was saying. I'm, I was just thinking Tim Meadows is the best part about that movie. Tim Meadows parts where he just increasingly starts pushing drugs on yeah. him. The, the, the marijuana part. I mean, I was going to say, I didn't mean to cut Mitchell Lawson off here, but the Beatles scene and the marijuana scene were like, you don't want none of this, do we? Like, and then those two scenes are maybe the two funniest scenes, I think, that are on this entire bracket. I agree with you guys with the movies, but those two particular scenes, and then as he progresses with the uh, the drugs, is like, these are pills. It's the next logical step for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like Viagra's the last Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish it would have been shorter. It just dragged for me, and there were some silly parts that didn't quite land. Can we also uh, talk about how dark that movie started? Oh, and the, 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 he cuts his brother in half. I mean, it's not dark. The kid, the kid was like still talking to him after he got cut in half. That's, but that just, dad just keeps on going, the wrong son, dad. The wrong kid, the wrong kid died. But that was again the joke. He'd be like, yeah, okay. that, he, oh, that had to do horrible things to his self-esteem. That was, he's not a real character. He's not a real person. It wasn't <laughs> He'd like walk out of the room and come back in. Just the wrong kid, Dad. Yeah, that's a reference to because I think Johnny Cash's brother actually died in like an accident. Yeah, not getting cut. Yeah. <laughs> But he forgets that he, he's like, I didn't know how easy it was to actually cut somebody in half accidentally. And then the doctor was like, this is the worst case of being cut in half I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> I mean, when you break down the like, it's, you can't break it down as like something that makes sense. It's a comedy yeah, and a parody. Yeah, you really should, you should to really understand that, that this movie, you need to watch. You watch, should watch. watch, watch, watch. Yeah. And then you would get all the, you would get more of the jokes. Okay. And then, it's a good, that's a good movie too. Although long, it, it's good. Yeah. So then, Get Smart, like you guys, you guys, you guys covered it perfectly. It's a great mix, action, adventure. I like how it has some callbacks to the original show. Yeah. It was like back in like I'm gonna say it was TV Land 60s. Yes. Yeah. So I don't think I thought that was kind of funny because just I've seen that show a few times. The references they yeah. made, like you said, it's it's. You kind of know what you're going into. It's just, it's really a spoof of, I guess Smart really is like a spoof of James Bond, really, in a lot of ways, so. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it's just a, it's a, yeah, it's a fun movie. I've really enjoyed watching it. I agree with you guys, and as we get into voting here, I'm probably, I feel like I know what direction this is going to go. I'm going to give my vote to Walk Hard. I think just the scene, I get what you guys are saying. It is a long movie, and there are times, I love this movie, but there are times i got to fast forward like 20 minutes to get to the next funny scene. So like I do, I do understand what you guys are saying, but I think that those the scenes that are funny and they're so well done just throughout makes it one of the funniest movies on the bracket. And we did, I had Mercy Warren watch, I have it on DVD, like the extended edition. So we watched like the it was almost like what two and a half hours, I think three hours. Yeah. And they they even like acknowledge in the DVD like the way too long extended edition. Um, but I, I I still think it's so funny. So I might be I might be losing here, but for now, Walk Hard gets my vote. I mean, the extended edition of the walk, of Walk Hard is the same length as Titanic. Let that sink in for a minute, okay? Good point. Yeah. My vote's gonna go to Get Smart. <laughs> I think I kind of see why Scott was for Walk Hard because he's he's not a fan of like Johnny Cash. So exactly. Like, like, 
his whole life. I can see why. But I, uh, although none of these movies are my favorite, I think my vote is going to go for good one. Yeah, so one card to me is like the, it's the home run hitter in some scenes, but there's also a lot of strikeouts. And the batting average is not high enough to compete with Get Smart, which is just a fun, quick, easy comedy to watch. Yes. I do agree. I, I think um, Get Smart was actually one of the first movies that, it was probably one of the first five movies uh, Mercy and I ever saw together. She showed it to me. And I, I really do like, I do like that movie. And I do get, like, I, you guys give, give a good point, too, that it, if you saw Walk the Line, it is funnier. And I generally don't like it where if you don't understand the references for one movie, it doesn't make the other one funnier. I mean, it, it, you know, to make the other one funnier. But I really, as Mrs. Lawson said, I don't like Johnny Cash. I don't believe he deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Anywho, that is it. That is our 16 movies of the bracket, but we're not done yet. We're going to get into quick voting here and pick a winner. This will be our third uh, whatever wins here is going to be our third movie to get into the finals and we have one more bracket to go 16 more movies to decide the fourth one so don't go anywhere yet so to get into quick voting here we go back to the round one and we have the hangover going up against Borat so both of these movies are pretty much equal to me in terms of comedy I think they're both hilarious but hangover I'll give it a slight edge just for being a little bit more watchable I can watch that movie again because like once you see Borat and you lose like the shock humor of it you don't really need to watch it again uh hangover you can watch multiple times so my vote will go to hangover you're right I'm never gonna watch Borat again since I've now seen it <laughs> if it was up to me I wouldn't have even seen it once it was not a positive experience my vote's gonna go to hangover I was kind of on the fence, and then Scott's, that's a perfect way to put it. Hangover is just, it's rewatchable, so that gets the vote. All right, well said. All right, so we get into the second half of the first round of the bracket, and we have I Love You Man going up against Hot Rod. So both of these movies are really great. I thought I Love You Man was really good, but Hot Rod for me, like I've watched I Love You Man several times, and uh, like laughs that I had out loud, like hard in the first time I watched it, were just kind of more chuckles the third or fourth time I've watched it. Is <laughs> you know, but Hot Rod, I can still just like really laugh hard when I'm watching like the falling down the seat, like when he's you know the uh, the whiskey scene when he's like going down in that like the boogie board thing and he's going down the hill like whiskey and like <laughs> so all the wipeouts of Hot Rod. Hot Rod's more watchable again in my opinion and still funny. So Hot Rod gets my vote in this round. So this one's tough for me because this was my first time seeing both of these movies and I actually genuinely liked them both. They're probably the two movies I watched for this that I didn't absolutely hate. So it's kind of rough for me to pick one between them because I found them both re highly rewatchable. But Hot Rod was just more quirky versus I Love You Man, which, I mean, it was very good, but it's like a romantic comedy type situation. So... Hot Rod's a little bit more quirky and like stands out a little bit more to me, so I'm gonna go for Hot Rod as well. I I did like both of these movies. I think I'm gonna throw my vote for I Love You, Mia. Yeah, this is really tough for me as well. I kind of want to see a tiebreaker, so I'm going to go for I Love You. Let's, let's see what the, uh, see what the scores are. Alright, so we want to thank Proz for being our first round tiebreaker. We did go to IMDb in this one to make it a little bit more fair and shake it up a little bit. So thank you, Proz. We will give you our his top three and bottom three movies at the end of the show here. 
So, I don't even know what these are here. Let me look. Okay, I have them here. So, I Love You Man had a score of 7.0 on IMDb. Not the, yeah, not the highest, but not the lowest either. Hot Rod, Andy Samberg. 6.7 on the IMDb score, so I Love You Man goes into the next round where it will phase off against Hangover to go into the finals of this bracket. By IMDb slightly. I we see that a lot with IMDb. Some some movies are way overrated, but some are really underrated. I feel both of these movies were underrated. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So we get back into the second half of the bracket, and we have Little Miss Sunshine going up against Knocked Up. Knocked Up. Oh my gosh, this is a really tough movie. Both of these movies are really funny, but they also have heart too. I mean, there, there's that scene. I really like what they do at the end of Knocked Up when they have all the baby pictures. Of the cast and crew. You like seeing the growth that Seth Rogen has throughout the movie. Well, mostly towards the end. But, you know, just... It, it tell, they both tell really good stories. And there's also a ton of comedy, too. This is almost a flip of the coin for me. I'm probably going to go with Little Miss Sunshine for my vote. And I'm going to say that before I change my mind. But Little Miss Sunshine is just... What they did with that budget and with the acting... I mean, Steve Carell, he was he was amazing in that movie. Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear, thank you, guy. Greg Kinnear and Bolt Pullman were basically the same person, but um, <laughs> no, they weren't. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm going to go Little Miss Sunshine in this round. It knocked up when Catherine Heigl was doing that interview. Who was she interviewing? I can't remember. James Franco, right? Yeah, James Franco, okay. Steve Carell, yeah. And that was funny because he's like, well, you turned Steve Carell into an asshole, so good job there. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen yeah. was really funny in that movie. She was, yeah. Yeah. Those parts are funny to me. So, as I said, Little Miss Sunshine, it's a good movie. It's just not entirely my favorite movie. Knocked Up, I do find more entertaining, and I feel like it's more fast-paced and it's funnier, so my vote's going to go to Knocked Up. That's a tough one. Tough one. Is it by and one of like, entertaining? Although both are entertaining, I will throw my vote for Knocked Up. Yeah, I think I prefer Knocked Up in a close one. I can get that. I mean, it's both. It was really, really close for me too. I mean, they were both like they were both really well done, and like the the Knocked Up cast was out like so good. Yeah, Jason Segel, Martin Starr, Jonah Hill, um, yeah. Jay Baruchel. So far, these all three of these events up. I don't think there's been one easy answer. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely agree with that. Definitely has been. Hangover versus Borat was a very easy one. <laughs> For you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so now we get into the last two movies uh, to see who goes into the semifinals here. And we have Super Bad versus Get Smart. For me, this is a real easy one. I did like Get Smart. I really do. I think it's a, it's a good, safe comedy to watch. With almost, it's like age appropriate across the board for all ages. But Super Bad is just so classically. I mean, it's 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 weird to say that movie's a classic now because it's almost twenty years. But it uh, it's it's amazing. I love Super Bad, so I'm gonna go with that. I really do like Get Smart. I think it's a good, just like feel good. If you just want something like lighthearted and funny, it's a great movie to watch. But I'm gonna throw my vote to Super Bad as well. Yeah, I think this is the easiest one out of the, the four pairings. Um, but I'm going to vote for Super Bad as well. Super Bad to the semis. All right, so we're down to the final four now. We got Hangover versus I Love You, Man. And for me, Hangover 
not it's a clear winner. It's not like a as huge a difference as you would think. Because I I did like I love you, man. But Hangover, I mean, I, I mean that was like Zach Galifianakis' emergence. I love like the between two ferns thing too. Is Zach Galifianakis like where even Barack Obama's like making fun of him? He's like, now do you think if you would have just done one Hangover, it would be considered a comedy classic? But then you ruined it with two and three. Yeah, Seinfeld did, but I think Barack Obama did it too. Um, <laughs> yeah, Seinfeld, yeah, you're right, he did that too. I like how they could make fun of him for that. And and if we're just going by the, I mean, the first one was just so good. Yeah, the second, and, and we said before in the bracket, we can't really let sequels determine like the original uh, or the first one. So, in my opinion, Hangover deserves getting to the finals. We're the four best friends that there ever was. That anyone can ever have, yeah. I don't know. I was obviously losing my voice trying to <laughs> my vote my vocals to the hangover. Yeah, this is also an easy one for the hangover. Yep, hangover. Pretty easy. Moves on to the finals. Against two though. That's right. So now we gotta determine between knocked up and super bad two Seth Rogan movies. So I, I know I voted against Knocked Up the last round against Little Miss Sunshine, but it was close. It was really, really close. This one, it's a little less close. Um, as I've already said before, Superbad, one of my, like I said, again, one of my favorite movies on the across the board. Uh, Superbad gets my vote to go into the finals to go against Hangover. In this movie, in Superbad, it's the cops that steal it for me. Bill Hader and Seth Rogen were wonderful, so my vote's going to go to Superbad as well. I enjoy both movies. Like, if I'm going to watch a movie, I'd be fine with watching either one, honestly. I will make it not so... Uh, <laughs> super bad is my vote. <laughs> uh. That was tough one for knocked up. It'll yeah. never... Yeah. It deserves the one vote. It's just, yeah, it does. I can see that. All right, so we got our finals, and... This is a tough one. I, I love both of these movies. Hangover beat In Bruges in the first round, and I love In Bruges. I mean, I, I I wish it was a more popular movie overall so that it could have like had more of a justification to get further into the bracket. And I know it's not really a ladies' movie, like for the late. And I think it also, In Bruges set a record for saying the F word more times in any movie up to that point than <laughs> anything. But Super Bad, uh, man, this is so tough. Hangover versus Super Bad. I'm going to go super bad by a hair. I mean, literally a hair. I, I think Hangover is so funny. And it's really almost a flip of the coin. But if I had to, if you had to, like, gun to my head, which movie would you rather watch right now? I'd have to say super bad. My, this is a rough one. My vote, I think, is also going to go for super bad. So there's some brackets where I think we don't have the two best movies going against each other, but I think this one is pretty good. There's, I wouldn't complain too much. It's a great finals matchup. Right. Yep. Go to a tiebreaker. So I'm gonna vote for Hangover. Okay. So I will say this right now: both of these two movies were in the top three in IMDb score. Neither was number one. The highest rated movie on IMDb was in Bruges at 7.9. Oh, I had to give that flex. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, it was actually top four. So there was one movie, the second rated highest movie on IMDb. 
was Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. Which is also Scott's pick, so he's just flexing right now. The third highest rated movie on IMDb, and the one that will go into the finals to face off against our other two movies from this decade. At 7.7 on IMDb, The Hangover! Beating out Superbad by 1.7.6 for Superbad, 7.7 for The Hangover. Those were our top four highest rated movies on the bracket. Almost nobody else came close. Uh, Actually, Knocked Up was, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Knocked Up wasn't even in the top. Yeah. So Borat was 7.4, was the next closest one. (laughs) What's our, what's our VIP have? Is yeah, well, bottom, oh, bottom and top so we will get, yep, we will bring up Praz, our VIP listener. Thank you so much. So I know he didn't see two of the bottom three. Well, when I asked him to rank these movies, his, he, his instant number one worst movie on the bracket was knocked up. <laughs> I don't know why. He didn't tell me why. But number 15 was Get Smart, and number 14 was Dan in Real Life. We haven't seen those. Yeah. His top three from... So number three was The Hangover. Number two was Hot Rod. Number one, In Bruges. Uh, so I was going to say the one remaining movie he had on it is what goes into the finals. And let me double check here. Now, if anybody... If you don't want to spoil it here, I would turn this show off right now because you know that Hangover is going to be in the finals. The other two movies that it's going to go up against before we pick our fourth one, too. We have to determine that. But don't forget, Hangover is going to go against Mean Girls and Anchorman. Those two movies won our, the early 2000s bracket. So we still have one more show to go, and we're going to pick... We have 16 new movies from 2006 to 2010. And so, I mean, if you thought these were great movies, I know on part four coming up with this part of the decade. Uh, We have some great, fantastic movies on that bracket, too. So, thank you all so much. Hangover gets into the finals. That's that's setting up for a tough final four vote already, I don't think. Those three are really good. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely agreed. Yeah, I mean, overall, we're going to have, what, uh, 64 movies from this decade that are going to go head-to-head and determining the best four out of them. I mean, yeah. yeah, If you want to be a VIP, it does pay off. Yes. Like Mrs. Lawson said, please be VIP. We need you. All right. So we're going to end it there and wrap it up. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all out there for being with us. Thank you to the Lawsons, Mercy Warren, everybody out there. And as we close out every single show, Mercy Warren. There's only 330 days left until Christmas. That's not what we do. Can you say the right thing, please? Bye. Bye. Oh, she did it right. I'm very happy. Aw. Only 330 days to Christmas? No, it's true. Not YouTube.